This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Joe Dratnell is a teacher and coach in the state of Georgia. He's also spent some time writing and sharing his thoughts about the American game for several years. He says that he's always trying to learn and get better. And writing for his blog and doing interviews like this are things that challenge him. And being challenged is a very important part of growth as a coach. In this interview, we discuss the beginning of his coaching career and how he had to relearn basic skills in order to teach them. We also talked about why and how teaching styles evolve, and we tackle that from a teacher perspective and also a coaching perspective, which is a pretty interesting point of view that he has because he's on both sides of that. So, yep. Uh, And we also talk about how player demographics can impact the way that you coach and the things that you're able to do or say uh, as a coach. You can connect with Joe on Twitter or by visiting his website where you can go and read some of his thoughts. Links to both of those are available in the write-up of this podcast on 343coaching.com. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on every major podcasting platform. That means Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, whatever you listen to it on, wherever you listen to it, just search the term 343 and it should pop up. Uh, If you want to help the show grow, You can do that by subscribing to the show, by rating it, by reviewing it, but most importantly, by sharing it with other friends, family, players, coaches, administrators, whatever. Just get the get the show out there to other people that are interested in soccer. And let's see if we can get them uh, get them hooked and get them listening to it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. They have a new package deal that includes high quality and reliable training balls coupled with numbered training vests that will get you through your tryouts and get your upcoming season started off the right way. You get an additional 10% discount on Bounce Athletic orders just because you listen to the 343 podcast. You can order 24 custom training balls and 24 custom numbered reversible training vests for just $6.99. And if you want more, they have more. You can get 48 balls and 48 vests for $11.99. These package deals are great for high schools, colleges, and clubs. The balls that Bounce Athletics provide have all of the modern technology and are on par with brands like Nike, Adidas, and Select, but cost much less without reducing the quality. And I say that because that's very important. They cost less, but they are absolutely on par with those brands. I use their custom training balls every single training session, and I have a mixed bag right now of soccer balls that I bring with me. And the kids are always fighting over the Bounce Athletic balls, over the Nike, over the Adidas ones, because uh, the Bounce Athletic ones are literally the best balls that I have in the bag. If you want to see what your custom training balls will look like or your custom training vests will look like with your logo on them, all you have to do is send a logo to info at bounceathletics.com and they will send you free mock-ups of what the products will look like when they arrive on your doorstep. So go check them out and when you are ready to order, like I said, just email info at bounceathletics.com and the they will start the order process for you. And just be sure that you mention 343 because that's how you're going to receive your additional 10% discount. So once again, that's info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process. And please do not forget to check out the 343 membership program. It is the absolute best and most powerful online coaching education program, and it's available for a fraction of the cost of other licenses and courses that are out there. The 343 membership gives you 24-7 access to the real process that has been used to develop multiple professional and national team caliber players. 
And the best part is that all of the material can be used with teams and players of any level, boys and girls from U10 to pro. David Copeland Smith, the founder of Beast Mode Soccer, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. And he said, and I quote, honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills. You're investing in your education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches, end quote. If you're an ambitious coach that is looking for a program that can take you and your team to the next level, then the 343 program is for you. You can learn more about the benefits of the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program by visiting 343coaching.com. Once again, that's 343coaching.com. All right, uh, that's it for the intro. I hope that you are ready for this episode, and I hope that you enjoy this podcast with Joe Dratnell. What's up, John? Yo, what's going on, dude? Chilling, man. Trying to get this week over with. Almost summertime, right? Last week. That's exciting. Finals and grades and all that, yeah. That's exciting, dude. That's exciting. Uh, so I was just thinking about it. The last time I talked to you, I remember exactly where I was. I was in a 7-Eleven parking lot, um, and I was, on my way, I was on my way to training, and we were talking about the upcoming... U.S. men's national team matches, I think. Is that right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And uh, and we were talking about how important it would be, or how important it is, to highlight all of the uh, all the mistakes of the players that get put on pedestals by you know U.S. soccer media and uh, U.S. national team fans and and things like that, because people think that some players are like gods and they just don't understand all of these stupid little things that these players do. Um, for example, like just constantly receiving the ball improperly and putting themselves in terrible positions. And then that's what puts them in panic mode when they make their, you know, when they make their next decision. And a lot of times it's a bad decision. So at the top, top, top level of this country, that shit is just happening constantly. And you and I were having a conversation about that, but I was on, I, I remember I was on my way to training and, and we had that. And then I had a conversation about that with, uh, with my players that day. It was pretty funny. Um, and it's amazing like how it's not noticed. Oh dude, it's, it's not noticed at all. And, and a lot of times it's not noticed because the people that are doing the, the commentary or the people that are doing the reporting about it, uh, have, have no idea that that's even a thing. So, right that that's i think that's probably step one and then and then those people are responsible by default i guess of educating the fans and educating the the general public about you know how the game went and and things like that and they just they focus on the shit that just does not matter and um it's really unfortunate so yeah uh, i feel like you had another thought to add on to that though well i mean to be honest i don't think it's something i would have noticed until four or five years ago, yep. which is when I started coaching. Yep. Yep. What, and, uh, you know, it's, what, what made you notice that four or five years ago? Like what, what was, what was the thing that clicked for you? So when I started coaching, um, my first coaching position was the JV girls team at my high school. And my high school is mostly Latino. Um, and, you know, in the Latino culture, a lot of times the girls don't play. Now, it's it's changing, 
um, slowly, but it is changing. But five years ago, there's a huge difference between five years ago and now even, like in my school. Um, and so I'm coaching girls who have hardly ever kicked a ball, um, don't have a lot of experience. And as I'm coaching them, I'm literally in my room trying to remember, okay, how did I learn to do this? Um, Because it's a brand new experience for me as a coach, going back and and trying to remember, um, how did I learn to kick a ball? And I don't don't remember how I learned it. So I'm in my room, okay, this is the motion that I take when I kick a ball. And trying to decide a good way to explain how to use the inside of your foot to make a good pass. Because these girls aren't, aren't doing that. And when I figured that out on my own and and the more I analyzed my coaching and trying to teach them to do the proper technique and I'm watching games, you know, between watching European games and then watching the U.S. uh, MLS games and I'm analyzing how things are done, the the difference is is there. But you have to I think you, you have to have a trained eye to see it in most cases. What, what was your soccer experience like before you started coaching? So you, you said that you're kind of recalling how you learned to kick a ball, but what, what was your, what was your experience with the sport before you started to teach it? So I grew up in Chattanooga. Uh, I think most people in the soccer world in the United States knows where Chattanooga is now. Um, thanks to Chattanooga FC, but before Chattanooga FC, there was nothing. There were like, there's one club in all of Chattanooga. Um, and most of it was just recreational play. Um, and I, I didn't know what the difference was back then. Um, so my, my upbringing with soccer was very limited. I was, um, I, I I didn't have the best coaches. Um, I, I didn't know there wasn't a lot of knowledge. Um, I didn't, I didn't know how much I didn't know until I went to college. Um, and started playing with people from uh, around around the United States. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a terrible player. I was pretty good. Probably could have played in a D two school. I was told to go to a D two school um, and look for scholarship there. Uh, and and for whatever reason, chose not to do it. Um, missed my chance to to play in college that way. And uh, you know, I played and refed in college. Um, but you know, I became a coach because I didn't have good coaching. That was one of the reasons I wanted to become a coach because I realized how poor my, the coaching I received was. I probably didn't have, of all the coaches I had, I probably had three decent coaches growing up. And, you know, it's obviously it's, everything's better in Chattanooga now with Chattanooga FC coming in and, um, their academy and you know they're doing good things in their academy they're doing good things at, at the NPSL level um, and they've revolutionized soccer in Chattanooga but my experience it was I had poor coaching and that's nothing against the coaches I had they didn't know any better either you know most of them were parent coaches so I, I don't blame them I don't blame myself I don't blame my parents it's just it is what it was and you know things are changing now. I tell my players all the time, you guys have you guys have access to so many things that I didn't have access to when I was growing up. And if I knew half as much then as I do now, it may have been a completely different ball game. I don't know. 
did you did you know that the coaching was subpar while you were going through your your development experience? I had no idea. No idea. Yeah, I think that's a that's probably something that a lot of us um, a lot of us and I say us because I, I throw myself in that category too. It's we don't we don't really realize it, and I can tell you from my experience in youth sports, bouncing between you know, baseball and basketball and soccer for, you know, most of, most of my youth days, I think up until probably like 11, I think I probably played all three. Um, yeah, you just, you, I didn't even recognize that there was a difference in, in the, in the coaching. Like it was just like, a lot of times it was even the same, the same moms and dads that were doing the coaching for all three sports. So going through that experience, I didn't, I, I had no clue personally that coaching was bad. And now looking back on, my friends that have kids and they're starting to coach and, and working with the, with the recreational leagues and working with the volunteer moms and dads and seeing how uh, that experience is going for them. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like this is the, this is the people, these are the types of people that were in charge of my development when I was growing up. Like, Oh my gosh, this is yeah, and you know, no consistency either. When I, when I was, when I was in high school, I, I played varsity. There's two of us that played varsity from eighth grade on because we went to a smaller school. And uh, so it was five years of varsity soccer, and that five years of varsity soccer, we had four coaches. Yeah, I had the same. Ex- I had a similar experience. Sorry, going. <laughs> Go ahead. You there? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, I had a I had a similar experience where I had a really. I I, I actually I, I've thought about this long and hard over the last uh, year and a half or two years that I had one coach that was actually phenomenal um, as far as like instilling a, a great mentality in the team, uh, looking back on some of the training exercises that he used. Um, he, he was using some stuff that other coaches weren't. Um, and, and so I had a really good coach for two years and he selected me as a freshman for the varsity team, started me in some games as a sophomore, um, on, on the varsity team. And, um, I was, a uh, I was really fortunate to have him, but then he was so burnt out by the politics of everything. And I've, and, and this is why I've been thinking about it. It's like uh, the, pol- the, the political side of, of soccer was what drove him out of the game. He just couldn't handle the political, the, the political aspect of it. Um, and he, he was also a teacher and didn't like coaching at, at, at the school and having to deal with the athletic director and, and all the BS that went along with it and trying to run a great program. And, and so he stepped away and then the next, you know, two years, three years, it was, uh, it was just coaching change after coaching change. And since then it's, it's been pretty much the same. It's been like a new coach every two years for, for my high school program, except for when I was there uh, as the, as the boys coach. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about that experience and he was really like, honestly, my only good, my only good, um, what am I, what am I trying to look for? Like role model when it came to coaching, and I think a lot of that stuff has just uh, subconsciously stuck with me and I haven't given him enough credit. And so um, I, I should probably reach out to him and, and, and tell him that he has been a big influence on the way that I coach the game and see the game, um, even though he might he we might disagree on some things. But um, I, I, that was my probably like my one year and a half stint as a as a kid where I had a, a good, good role model in front of me. And, and I say good role model, role model too, even knowing that it was really funny. I, I don't know if I've ever told this story, but he, uh, one time after a tournament, I scored a goal and I was like 10 yards offside and the referees were just dinosaurs and they just missed the call. And, uh, the other coach, as I was celebrating, the other coach said something to me on the field and I, and I chirped back. I was only a freshman at the time. And, uh, 
and I chirped back and said something. The coach from the other team said something back to me. And so after the game, we won. Uh, you know, you, you go through the line and you give high fives or something. And the coach from the other team says something to me again. So it's a, a grown man talking to a freshman. And of course, me being a stupid idiot, I, I, <laughs> I, I chirped back at him again. And my coach grabbed me by the throat and 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 like kind of threw me to the side and and kept his hand on my throat but not like on my throat but like he had like my jersey like kind of balled up in his hand and then like like just his thumb and his uh, index finger wrapped around my throat in front of my parents in front of the other team in front of my team uh, in front of the referees so it was like uh it was a weird experience and nobody said anything. Uh, he yelled at me for like 30 seconds, embarrassed me in front of everybody. And then in the little, in the, in the team, um, in the team meeting after, like we were all sitting on, on the side of the field, we won the game and he goes off on a rant and is generalizing everything, but never takes his eyes off of me, just yelling at the top of his lungs and just yelling straight at me. Um, and it was something about mentality and blah, 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 blah. And, and that, like that, that has always stuck with me. Um, but it's just something that I can't imagine what would happen if a coach did that today. Like, oh my God, that'd make CNN news, like headlines, like, oh, geez. oh yeah, you you have to be very creative in situations like that. Yep. Like yep. this this year, um, something happened, and I had to grab one of my players, mm. and uh, so I, I I put my hopefully arm nobody gets him. a sound bite of that because that would that would sound very bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's fine. I put my arm around him. Uh, right around the, the the shoulders and you know it looks like i'm just putting my arm around him but i let him know that this isn't me being nice this is me being for real and you're about to listen to me you know it, it, you can't you can't do anything overt but you know i had my arm around him and i was pulling away and, and he knew it wasn't me being nice yep but if you, you do you have to be careful about stuff like that Yep. I, I remember as a, as a young assistant coach, I think it was, I think I was only 18 and one of our, one of our varsity players, um, was running towards an altercation and he, and he had his hand like loaded, like he was getting ready to throw a punch. And as a young 18 year old assistant coach, I stepped on the field. Um, it happened right in front of our bench area. I stepped on the field and I, and I grabbed his arm and I kind of like swung him around and then I kind of bear hugged him and I walked him off onto the sideline and the referees at the time, they, they, the referees were really weird. Uh, I don't know why they chose to handle it like this, but out of all of that, like there's a mass altercation on the field and the only person that got punished was me as an assistant coach for breaking up the fight. And I got a red card that they, they could show cards to coaches. So they showed me a red card for, for breaking up the fight. But, uh, I think we have it on video or I have it on video somewhere, I think, but like the kid was like two seconds away from throwing a haymaker at, at the other team. And if, if it wasn't for me stepping in, like I stepped in, he would have done it. Um, but I, I can, I can totally see um, how somebody, if, if they got that video that they'd be like, Oh, what is this coach doing? Like this, this coach is, you know, assaulting his own player because of the way that I did it. And uh, it's just funny. Yeah. You can't do that That's anymore. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that was a uh, that was actually when I started going to the referee meetings, and and it's funny because I work with all these people now uh, as a referee, and I tell them I was like, yeah, you guys used to, you guys used to focus on these stupidest things, 
And that was that was one of them that really really set me off was you know the way that they handled that. I was like two yards into the field and broke up a mass altercation, and they they chose to go after me. And they, and they they submitted the report to the state governing body and all kinds of stuff like try, trying to make me look like a villain. I was like, you assholes, knock it off. Um, yeah, I don't know why we're talking about that, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> coaches stories man yep i know i'm looking at this i'm thinking like all right we've been talking for 15 minutes now and so i'm getting ready to do like this new podcast series where you know i'm only going to give coaches two minutes to talk about their philosophy and then eight minutes to discuss I'm like this is going to be that's going to fly by it's going to be insane you're going to have a hard how, time with that <laughs> yeah but that's it's part of the it's part of the challenge though i think for me as a as a podcaster helping me kind of grow into a different um into a different realm and then also coaches too like because coaches i think we think that we have all the ideas and we're able to communicate them properly and precisely and quickly. And I think a lot of coaches are going to get challenged and realize some stuff about themselves too. Even in just the, the, the preparation process of, I need to prepare for two minutes. That's all I get two minutes. And that's, it, it is hard. It's very hard. Especially if you don't have something already written down, you know, mm-hmm. that's difficult to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of coaches, I don't think sit, and write out or sit and even think about their coaching philosophy. A lot of coaches just assume that they know it. And a, a lot of coaches assume that they can just talk about it freely. And a lot of coaches can't. A lot of coaches can't. Are you sure you or Gary or someone on the podcast is why mine is written down? Now mm-hmm. I'd have to go pull it up somewhere, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason. What, um, what was the process for writing it out? Um, uh, overall philosophy and positions, you know, um, start with what do I want to see? And, you know, my philosophy is very similar to what three, four, three's philosophy is. And, um, there might be some differences here and there, but it's, it's, it's fairly similar. And then, um, so I took a lot from, I think that on the, the subscription thing, the plan, there's a whole philosophy page and mine's very similar to that. And then I went through positionally, and I don't know if I've ever finished every single position, but it changes um, every now and then I go through and revise it and whatever, and what I'm looking for positionally, and I share that with players too. So, but it's, I mean, it's not a small document. <laughs> it's it's something too that um, should probably always be a living document in in some ways. Like I think as a as a new coach, one of the most important things that a new coach should identify is just just a general idea of how I want my team to play and no, and nothing spe- nothing specific right and so with um with the membership we we kind of give the information or give the give the idea of okay we want to attack or possess like Barcelona counter attack like Real Madrid defend like Chile and then later on Brian added um and and, and press or or defend like uh like Simeone's uh, Atletico Madrid. And so like just having like those basic those general ideas of how you want your team to play when you first start I think is very 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 important. Like you need a role model, you need a north star. And then Definitely. And then as you as you progress and as you become more um comfortable and confident with your coaching, you can really start to dive deep into um yeah, the positional aspect, the different phases of the game as well. A lot of people like to talk about like the buildup phase. Uh, what what is um, what's his name? Uh, Franz Franz Hoke. 
does a he does a good job of like breaking it up into fours like the the build out the consolidation the uh, penetration i can't remember exactly his phases but he breaks up in like four phases but before you have like that general idea you can't really break down what those what those different phases are supposed to look like and once you break down the phases in in a vertical sense so like going from goal to goal well then you can start to go from side to side and then from you know block to block like it, like it gets crazy, but you can't do that unless you have like that starting point and the North star to kind of guide you in that direction. And you're going to learn a lot along the way, but so in a way it, it should be like a living document and, and, um, a lot of times I think for, for youth coaches too, we, our, our, our pieces change, our pieces of the puzzle change. So it's like, it's really difficult to lock yourself into that, like those positional things, if one year you have 18 year old boys and the next year you have 13 year old girls and you might have different pieces to your puzzle. Right. So again, that's why it's good to have like that general idea. And then you can kind of drill down individually with your, with your teams or, or, or with the players that you have at your disposal, that particular um, season or, or league or whatever. So I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. Well, I think what also helped me was, you know, being a teacher, Um, I have a philosophy of teaching too. And that has changed from when I started teaching to, to now. I mean, I am probably a completely different teacher now than I was nine, 10 years ago because students have changed. I've changed in in, in my point of view and my teaching style has changed. What, what specifically? Oh, um, focusing on the students, you know, now when I'm, when I'm teaching, I teach, I teach English, um, I teach 11th grade and when I used to teach, when I was a beginning teacher, I talked a lot, you know, I was in front of the class a lot. I talked a lot and read a little bit and wrote a little bit, um, and between early stages of teaching and now I don't talk a whole lot when I'm teaching. I don't, I don't personally do a lot of talking. Um, I encourage the students to do a lot of talking. I do a lot of stuff in groups. Um, majority of this school year, my, my desks are in groups. Um, and I do a lot of group stuff where the kids are doing the work with themselves and I'm more of a facilitator. Um, I, I, we, we, the kids read a lot um, and the kids write a lot and I'm there to guide them along the way. I'm there to, you know, facilitate. I'm there to mentor. I'm there to help. Um, you know, the, the idea is by the time they get to me, they should have a lot of background um, so that I'm not, exp- I don't, I shouldn't have to necessarily explicitly teach all the minute details of everything they should be able to figure most of that out on their own. Um, and I'm there to guide them, help them point them in the right direction of whatever it is we are currently reading. Now, obviously there's different levels of students and obviously, you know, some of the, some of my students need more help than others. Um, and I have to be a little more explicit in my teaching with some students and some classes than I do with others. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's completely changed from being, uh, and 
I guess the buzzword is from a teacher centered classroom to a student centered classroom. Um, and obviously not a lot of, not all of your listeners are going to be teachers. So not all of that is going to make sense, but we've all had a teacher and we've all, or a bunch of us are, have kids in school. And so they might understand those terms a little bit at least. Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor bounce athletics. It's a, part-time DOC, I had a budget and, you know, we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high quality, affordable training balls. That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others. We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials and construction methods, and and I think we've really got it dialed in to to where now you know with with our training balls we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering three four three members and listeners ten percent off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Tell me a little bit about, um, I guess, the continuing education aspect of being a teacher. Because in coaching, like the continuing education or, or the always be learning mentality is very prevalent and, and people are always seeking out new ideas and um, new training exercises and new philosophies and new books and videos and things like that. But what is it like for a teacher and, and maybe you specifically, but do you notice any like, you know, generalities of, um, you know, in the teaching profession that people are constantly seeking out more information or being encouraged by higher ups to seek out, um, further education? Yes and no. Um, it, interestingly enough, and I've said this to several people, I, I picked two career choices that are dictated by pieces of paper that help you move <laughs> along in your career, which drives me nuts, man. Um, so I have a master's degree and with a master's degree, I got a pump, a, a bump up in my pay. Um, I get a small bump each year that I am considered a proficient teacher um but i mean it's nothing significant um it's just an increase you know very small like a a three percent raise each year you're at a work in another field my wife is a x-ray tech at urgent care for uh children's health care atlanta she gets a three percent raise each year i get a step each year as long as i'm proficient in doing what i'm doing um, obviously, if I go from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree, that was another pay raise. Now, if I were to go spend two years in school and get a specialist degree, that would be another pay raise. And then if I go beyond that or go straight to a doctorate degree, that's another pay raise. And that one's fairly significant. Um, but that's how you get your pay raise. You get pieces of paper that say you know what you're doing. Um and, you know, other continuing education, you know, uh, during the summers, there's uh, my county puts on, um, you know, week long, two week long summer courses. There's summer uh, planning for your school. 
um, and different schools and different districts are going to do things a little bit different. Um, you know, we count continue here. We count continue education as uh, meetings that take place during the school year. How many meetings have you gone to? Profe- we have professional development meetings that take place during um, planning periods, which is a planning period is a period you don't actually teach. Um, so it, it it's it's definitely encouraged. Um, nobody's going to pull you aside and tell you that you need to go get your specialist or you need to go get your doctorate um, unless you want to become like an assistant principal or a principal. But, you know, those options are always available to you. Um, But in order to make better money, that's the route you have to go if you want to continue being a teacher. Okay, Uh, let me let me me ask this a different way, because you and I are 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 both very active on social media when it comes to soccer. Is, Is there a community of of like teachers or or professors online like uh, on Twitter, for example, that go on and argue about different philosophies or methodologies of teaching the way that we see it in soccer? Like, is, is there that aspect of it where people are, you know, wanting to um, promote their ideas and, and find or seek out different ideas? Like, cause I think we can probably separate some of uh, like soccer, the soccer Twitter community into thought leaders or experts, and then people that are followers and people that are, uh, looking for for information to bring back to their programs or to their teams. So, does that community or does that does that aspect of, of teaching exist? Yeah, it does. Now, uh, I'm going to be 100 honest and say I don't follow it a whole lot. Um, there are, you know, on my Twitter, my soccer Twitter. Um, that's mostly what I use it for is for soccer. But every now and then I find something about education and whatever and you know hugely piques my interest um and there there are groups that discuss the best way to do it you know um and there are different views of the best way to do it there's um someone in my school and we talk about uh she and i get together and talk about it all the time and we don't exactly agree 100 percent about everything that we talk about but in the end, we get to the same point, you know, um, and there's definitely um, groups out there that are of different views. I mean, there's a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, and it's just full and full and full and full and full of hundreds of thousands of different ways to teach things. And I'm not going to go through and say they're all right or they're all wrong or whatever, but, you know, it's just different perspectives of how to teach different things. And, you know, you, you buy it from other teachers who have created the lessons. Um, and it's a way to support other teachers. It's um, a way to, I guess, develop your own teaching. Um, it's not, that's not a resource that I use per se. Um, I, I don't feel like I need to go, um, buy other people's things um, because I have a, a decent community in my school that I can talk to um, about developing lessons. But yeah, there's a huge um, group of teachers who are going to be motivated either by political means or um, climbing the ladder or, you know, um, doing. Um, professional develop at other schools. Um, 
and you know i don't always agree with the things that they have to say um but i'm not the expert so to say i i i think there's a lot of parallels to what you were just talking about uh, when you think of coaching and and especially in the United States because of the way that the system is set up. But I don't think that we're some unique snowflake um, in regards to the rest of the world too, because I think that's just how it is everywhere. Um, But I I, I do think that we have maybe, maybe we are a unique snowflake in in the sense the way that our system is set up. But, um, but those problems do exist all over the world. I think if people would just rewind like one minute and listen to what you just said with the mindset of he's talking about soccer coaches they would see like the parallels like oh yeah like i like that that is true like soccer coaches do do this as well like they'd go and they seek out sessions from other people um soccer coaches do try to use this as you know a political um way of climbing the ladder uh things like that so uh i'm really fascinated by the by the crossover between teaching and and coaching i'm really really fascinated by that and i've, I've been fortunate to have conversations with with you about it um with uh with a number of different people actually um one of my favorite conversations was with um mika ilavara one of the coaches for um uh, blanking on the name somewhere in west virginia i think <laughs> um but but he like you has a you know master's degree and 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 things like that and and so he's bounced back and forth between the formal education and coaching and and how you're able to balance that i I, I think it's really fascinating. I think people, I think coaches in general would benefit from kind of branching out and, and, and looking at, at the, you know, the greater education world instead of just pigeonholing, you know, their favorite um, coach or, or favorite coaching um, education site or, or whatever. I think that it's pretty beneficial to have the, that, uh, that extra, the extra bit of information in your back pocket when needed. I definitely agree. I mean, when you when you look at teaching and you look at coaching, I mean, when you when you look at what teaching really is, teaching is essentially the passing down of knowledge to someone. Well, what is coaching? Uh, I'm passing down knowledge to someone. And in that regard, it's it's very similar. There's different ways to do it. There's different methodologies to do it. And, you know, the way I do it might be different from the other coach or the other teacher at another school, but their success might be just as good, if not better than mine. Does that make me right or wrong? No. Does that make them right or wrong? No. You know, it's, it's how can you relate to your players when you're on the field, Mm -hmm. when you're in the classroom, it's how can you relate to your students? And, you know, one of the biggest correlations between teaching in the United States and, and because I've never taught anywhere else, so I can't compare teaching other, other places to this and coaching in the United States is we're behind the times, you know, coaching in the United States is, has, has not been as progressive as coaching around the world. As far as I've been told. And as far as I know, teaching in the United States, I know is not where it needs to be in terms of society and and culture right now, because there are a thousand things that I want to do differently, but I can't because I don't have the means to do it. Um, Whether it's 
being not having just not having resources needed or not being allowed to do it because of other things that I'm not going to say. <laughs> um, one of the one of the things that Mika said during the interview that I did with him is that you as a teacher or you as a coach are the link between the content and the student or the player. And so it's your job to to you know figure out what it is that they need to know and you need to be the link between that content and and them themselves which i thought yeah, absolutely which i thought was really important and then and then the way that you do that and you started to to describe that too um the way that you do that is is kind of where the art of it is like there's people that do it very passionately there's people that do it you know this way or that way and and how you relay that message or how you connect those two dots between the content and and the student is is really where I think people start to stand out as experts or as as leaders and and other people you know that's that's where they start to fall behind they might have the right information they might have the right ideas and they're just not able to connect those dots in meaningful ways or, or enthusiastic ways or or or, or ways that can actually connect um, connect with the with the student themselves they they, they kind of yeah. miss the boat so and you it, it all depends on who your and I, I don't like to use the word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Who your clientele is. Yep. yep. You know, a, a coach at a DA um, club is going to be different than a than a, a coach at a non DA club. Your clientele is going to be different, and you're coaching at the U18 level. You're going to relay the information that different than you are if you're coaching at the U12 level. And if your your players are, uh, you know. If you're coaching at a rich club versus coaching at a club that is not as well off, it's going to be different. And how you relate to those kids is going to be different. And how you um, coach, it, it needs to be different. You can't reach the same kids the same way all the time. Now, at some level, a teenager is a teenager is a teenager. And, and an elementary school-age kid, they're all elementary school-age kids. You know, they're all the same, but at the same time, they have different upbringings. You know, it's, it's potentially different cultural backgrounds. They're going to receive information differently, and they're going to have a different prior knowledge about things as well. They're going to have, you know, a kid who's been in a DA academy for six to eight years is going to know different things than a kid who's been at a non-DA, non-ECNL club for the last six or eight years. And you have to approach those differently. And it's the same in school, you know. I, I, I teach at a school that is considered Title IX school, which means um, like 70, 75% of my students are on free or reduced lunch because of socioeconomic status. Uh, me teaching here is going to be different than me teaching at, at a school that is not considered a Title IX school where they are not on – majority of students are not on that free and reduced lunch. Those two bodies of students are going to receive information differently. Their, their backgrounds are different. They might have a different prior knowledge, and you have to approach things differently whether people admit to that or not. That's the case. It's I've talked to many different teachers who have taught in both different types of schools, 
and it's different. There's no other way to explain it. It's just different. And kids are going to receive information in a different way based upon where they come from and what they already know. You know, it's that nature versus nurture deal all over again. And it it makes a difference. Oh, 100%, man. I heard a funny argument the other day from, from a parent um, that, <laughs> that, uh, that the schools where all the um, affluent kids go in, in this area, the schools that where all the affluent kids go have the least amount of resources because all the money in the county, the, the county distributes the money to the kids that typically come from lower um, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so it's right. like all, all pretty much all the white kids go to a school that sucks is basically the, the gist of it. And uh, <laughs> I thought that I thought it was just funny the way that, that the statement that she said was the way that she presented it to me. I was like, okay, like, I'm sorry. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to react. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's an argument that doesn't make sense to me because my question would be how many of those students have their own computer. At exactly. Home? How many no. of those students <laughs> exactly. have their own computer that they bring to the classroom. Yeah. They all have iPhones and stuff. So it's like, why do they need an iPad in their classroom? But they all have iPhones in their pockets. It just, like that's exactly what I was thinking too, because I, I like the school's down the street from my house and the school is literally 100 yards from the Pacific ocean in a beautiful neighborhood. Um, and, and, and the kids all walk to school. The, all, all the parents, the majority of the parents walk their kids to school. And it's like, you know, how, how many families have the luxury of, of that? Like how, how many families have the luxury of walking their kids to school by the beach? Right. And so you, you, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about some other kids that I grew up with where, you know, they had to be bussed in from, 30, 30 minutes away and you know, they're packed in an overcrowded bus. They come from an area where, um, you know, they're, I, I don't want to get, I actually don't want to get into it. I just thought that that was fucking hilarious when she started it's, to mention that. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I anonymously do a poll for my kids at the beginning of the year and I ask them how many of you have access to the internet outside of the school at your house, like personal, not going to the library, but personal access. And on average, it's between 10 and 15% of my kids wow. don't have that kind of access outside of school or a library. Yep. And that's just the kids that I'm teaching. You know, um, it's, it's not, I'm not knocking on them. It's just for me to know what I'm dealing with. And that's what I'm dealing with on a regular basis. And it's, you know, it's challenging. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, it, as far as like more similarities between teaching and coaching, there's a lot of language that gets thrown around um, that's extremely similar. Um, you know, everybody's always talking about mastery and what that means. Um, and you, I think you made a really, you posted an article. I don't know if it was a previous article or something that you put up pretty recently. Um, but you had a quote by Robert Greene. Mm -hmm. um, in order to master a field, you must love the subject and feel a profound connection to it. Your interest must transcend the field itself and border on religious. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, when, when I saw that, um, I instantly thought that's not just coaching. How does that affect my teaching too? Because I saw that after uh, after we had scheduled this, 
And I immediately thought of, we use mastery in the school all the time. But how do, how do schools in general teach mastery? It's almost impossible for them to because they have to teach Absolutely. so much. You've got – and just look at your core classes of science, English, uh, math, and history. If you're just looking at those four things, it's, it's almost impossible to do mastery just in those four things if they're only doing those four things every day. On top of that, you've got other electives. But the same thing goes with soccer. You know, if, if your club players are only practicing two or three days a week, and that's the only time they're touching the ball, just those two or three days a week, how can we as coaches expect them to gain that same mastery? You know, it, you, you guys harp on this a, a lot with, uh, and a lot of your, your, a lot of the people you talk to harp on this a lot. If players aren't doing it on their own, outside of practice, daily, where does that mastery come from? And when I was young and when I was growing up, back to, back to when I was growing up, I didn't know that and I didn't understand that. And the wealth of information that was out there about how to become a, a master at your craft as far as soccer goes just wasn't there. There's no excuses now. You know, these players today have a information overload. And that might even be part of the problem is that there is an information overload, whether you're trying to become a master coach or a, a professional player. It's not, is the information available? It's what information is good. No, Joe, what, what you're, what you're touching on right now is something that's really important to me. So it's, it's almost like you, in a way, have to work backwards because there is so much information. Like you have to decide, okay, what information is worth my time? And, and then, then you need to kind of dive into, into studying that and, and becoming a master of that where before it's like you had to seek out an expert. It's like, okay, well now there's experts fucking everywhere. Um, which ones are actually experts and you need to be able to, to decipher, you know, who's who and, and what's what and where's where and, and, and then work backwards from there. It's really, really, it's, it's really, really strange and fascinating to me, but you know, knowing, knowing who to, who to learn from these days is, is very, very, very important. And it's so hard to find. Yep. I agree. Um, between local coaches, you know, in Atlanta, there's God, there's 15 clubs in Atlanta that I could probably just rattle off off the top of my head. Which one of those coaches are the best coaches? Which one of those coaches really know what they're talking about? You know, I've observed um, several different coaches at my club that I respect, that I think are doing a good job. I've gone to, you know, a lot of their practice sessions um, in the past two years to try to learn from them. And I feel like I have learned something from them. Um, but at the same time, when you're a coach in your club, how often are you having the conversations of what can you do to be better? You know, I, I thought of this um, a couple of days ago, talking to some teachers, um, blowing some steam and getting mad at some things. I, I asked myself, <clears throat> when do we talk about what we can do to be better at what we do? You know, as teachers, when are we having the conversations of not necessarily planning for the next year? And as a coach, not necessarily planning for the next year. 
But when do we actually talk about what can we do to be better at what we do? And I don't mean this in a, in a general way. I mean this based upon our current crop. Like if you're a coach, you have a year with these kids minimum, you know, depending on how your club does it, you, you've got these kids for the next season. As you get to know those players, who are you going to talk to about being better able to coach these specific kids? And as a teacher, who am I going to talk to to be better able to teach these kids? And I'm not talking like, what would person X do? You know, what would the teacher next to you do? What would the coach on that field do? That's not what I'm talking about because what the coach next to you would do, one, his players might be on a level above you. Maybe your players aren't ready for that level yet. Two, maybe those students or those players aren't going to react to the same thing in the same way. So I was thinking, how often have I been observed and evaluated at my club? No, it's, and the answer it's was important. not the answer I wanted. It, it was rare. Yep. In, instead of someone coming to me and watching my games or watching my practice, the question was, who are your top players? Who's going to move up? Who do you think has the chance to move up? And I, you know, I, I didn't think of this until I was thinking about our conversation. But instead of asking me who's going to move up, why don't you come watch my game and see what my players are doing and talk to me about what I can do to make my players better. I'm and gonna... in the teaching world, I get some of that, but I don't feel like it's enough. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if... um if it's my fault for not asking for that, but at the same time, should I have to ask for that? I don't, I don't know. I haven't come to an answer for that. I'm going to steal the, I'm going to steal the final thought cause I have four minutes before my, my next interview. Um, but what you just described is exactly how us soccer has operated for many, many, many years is like through the network of the people that have existed in the system, like the coaches that have been at the, you know, the, the kind of the, top of the pyramid that we lack. Um, but the top of the pyramid for, for lack of better terms, um, they just, they just ask, they just, Hey, who do you got? Who, who, who can you send me? Uh, and, and that's, that's how the youth national team was kind of ran for, for quite a while. It's like, you see our lead fucking bozo scout. What's his name? Um, wrong Yeah. But that, like that's how that, that's how that group operated for, for many, many, many years. It's like, Hey, like, who do you have over there in California? Who do you have over there in New York? Who do you have over there in Texas? Like, okay, cool. Let's send them all to a camp and then we'll, we'll do something with them. Like that, that's exactly how it was. And, and people will either not be surprised about that, or there's going to be some people that probably think or, or, or strike back against that. I'm, that's just how it was guys. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, if they want to prove me wrong, they can come on this podcast and they could tell me that I was wrong and I will fucking argue with them and ask them for the proof that it was anything different. But I know for a fact that it was true and it's something I'm really, really passionate about um, highlighting, I guess, because I'm sick of it and, and it doesn't happen as much, but it still does happen. So um, Joe, where can, uh, where can people connect with you on social media or, or online? Uh, Twitter is the best place. Um, it's, it's a uh, Joe Dratnall. Um, J O E D R A T N O L. Um, 
I'm 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 on there probably more than I should be. <laughs> um, just you know, mostly talking about soccer, um, bringing up every now and then uh, something about education, but it's mostly mostly my go-to place for soccer, so, and that's where I'm at. Cool. Um, I didn't I didn't get a chance to ask you the famous question, so that means I need to I need to bring you back on the podcast someday, and, and we'll go through that. Maybe I can get you on for an episode, one of the shorter episodes. Actually, dude, I I would do a shorter episode. Okay, cool. Um, definitely, uh, and uh, you know, I would. Uh, I I could talk for hours, John. <laughs> <laughs> I can too, man. But what I've noticed is that people tune out. So <laughs> that's probably very true. And you know, I'm probably not the most interesting guy, and I'm definitely not a master at the craft yet. Someday, maybe. Hey, we're all we're all on our own journey, man. We're all we're all there, and I. I am by no means a master, um, which is fun. It's, it's, it, this is the podcast has become kind of like my living document. This it's like, it's like been my evolution as a podcaster, as a person, as a coach. And, and it's really cool to have all of it documented. So I'm really cool to have, it's really cool to kind of have you, uh, as part of that, uh, part of that journey as, as one chapter of that. So I'm, I'm excited about that, man. Thank you for your time. Man, it's been a pleasure. I, I greatly appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.